podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode is brought to you by Clorox. When it counts, trust Clorox the same way we trust essential workers to provide the care they give to us. Families trust Clorox to give them a safe and protected home. Our community heroes trust Clorox to keep places like hospitals and grocery stores disinfected. So I know I too can trust Clorox to provide my home with a safe environment at home we can all enjoy. So I have a story for you, Amanda. Um, With Clorox, there's one thing I definitely use it for. Every single time before I step into my vanity van, uh, I love the entire place disinfected because that's where I keep my makeup. Uh, that's where I get ready. That's where my clothes are. That's sometimes where I take a nap as well. So, you know, I can use it all over like time of need. So, um, yeah, it's been really, really, it just keeps everything super clean and I, I feel super safe. For me, it's important to share with loved ones and the public in general how they can give the most care for their loved ones especially during times like these. I mean, with the pandemic going on, with COVID going on, it's just great to be extra sanitary with all the items that are around you, caring for others and, you know, just wiping down the door handle after you use the bathroom or wiping down so the So important. The toilet. So important. The toilet handle. Don't forget oh. the toilet handle. <laughs> so remember, when, when it, it counts, counts trust Clorox. Hello, welcome to another edition of the Touchdown Frackers interviews. Uh, my name's Lewis and I'm joined by um, Stoke City uh, Stoke City footballer Jordan Cousins. How are you doing, man? Very good, thanks. Uh, so it's a long time no speak. Uh, last time I spoke to you, you were at QPR. We haven't had time to catch up since you've um, made the big move. Um, how's, how's everything on, on your side? What with Stoke or with life? Both, bro. Like, well, I guess not much is going on with Stoke at the moment, is there? With all this, uh, this, yeah. uh, this, uh, this, this pandemic. Yeah, yeah. There's not much football about, but everything's good. Everything's good, man. Yeah. Um, it's been a, a, a transitional year, having been based in London for the whole seven years of my career. Yeah. Been a bit of a change moving up to um, Manchester side, so it's been That's a life. What, as a club or as an area? As an area. Um, it's, a, it's all right. It's okay. I don't live in Stoke itself. I live in um, a place called Wilmslow, which is like south of Manchester, north of Stoke. Mm-hmm. Um, well, no, Stoke's a nice area. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice, um, a big club, um, good community. The fans are great. So no, I've, I've enjoyed my time there. But just for me, moving out of the bubble of London, 
like I said, it took a bit of time for me to adjust yeah, to, the, to the normal life. Yeah, because you're a South London boy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm brought up in Greenwich. Yeah, so it's it's um it's not quite going to foreign lands, but it's uh it's a it's a bit of a contrast, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 different. You have to learn the lingo. <laughs> God, teach me some soap lingo. <laughs> uh, they call you duck up there. Duck. Like they call you duck. Yeah, like. They'll, they'll be like, you're right, duck. You're right, but that sounds so Coronation Street. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, to be honest, when I first went up there and like the reception said, you're right, duck, and I, was, I thought she was, take, I thought she was like, trying to cast me or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, nah, but it's all good, man. It's all good. I'm learning it, so it's good. How are you? Um, so obviously, uh, the championship hasn't been going. I thought, when did the championship finish? Was it in like mid March? It was around the same time. Yeah, mid March. When everything does finished. Yeah. yeah. Much. So what have you been doing to keep yourself busy for like the last two months, I guess, the last eight years? Um, well, just been doing things around the house. Like, yeah. <laughs> just, just obviously I've been keeping fit because we have like GPS units. So we have to like do sessions and we get timetable and whatnot. So we've got mm. to go out in the morning and do certain runs because... Oh, so they're uh, monitoring all of that? Yeah, 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 yeah. They can monitor everything, right? Like, so to the time, the pace you do it, like... Yeah. So no cheating, basically. Nah, nah, there's no hiding. There's no hiding. Mm, like, we have okay, a proper, like, GPS monitor, which shows... It just report... Like, literally, you can go, record it. Not record it, but you literally, like, you can work it from your phone, and it yeah. it sends all the data back to them, so... It, it, it's not like that um, that Nike Fit Run app where people... Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> No, no, it's, 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 it's a different kind of high spec to that one. Yeah, I can imagine, I can imagine. So, um, have you guys um, started training yet, or are you still doing bits from home? Nah, we're still at home at the moment. We're okay. still at home. Um, I, I think, there, I heard there was a few meetings, uh, like today and yesterday, so mm. I think the general consensus is to, I think, go, or try and go back if everything kind of stays as it is now, I think maybe on the 25th or around that date to go back and do like bits and pieces at the training ground. Mm, because I think the, the, the championship itself, it's, it's kind of up in the air at, at the moment, isn't it? Um, I read an article yeah. in the, in the athletic, um, I think it was the athletic and they were talking about, you know, the championships kind of the, the forgotten league, like the, yeah. everyone's all, all focused on the premier league and, and, you know, the impact it's going to have on the premier league clubs, but mm. no one's really speaking about, you know, the championships, probably in the, the the top 10 biggest leagues in Europe but it's not it's not really spoken of at, um in those terms um do you, do you have you got do you know anything like about where, if if the championship's going to return or is it still up in the air to you guys as well i think i think that they're trying their best to make it return mm. um but i just think it's all about safety really because yeah. you've got to realize that uh, a lot of players have families and they've got little children and kids and some some players have um, wives that are pregnant, so mm. they've got to obviously take them into into consideration when they're thinking about coming back to football. So, luckily, I, I'm not in that situation myself, so no. I probably think a bit differently. Like, I'm I'm ready to to go ready back. To go. But mm. I 100% understand like the, the people that have family and may have like people in their household with underlying issues because, like I said, it can be really effective. Uh, like, mm-hmm. can be really detrimental to them if they pick up the virus. I think obviously safety has to come first, and I think I don't think anybody would kind of put footballers on the pitch knowing that like people are gonna get infected. But I, I think 
whenever football goes back or we go back to football, there's going to be some element of risk. So it's all about kind of trying to lessen that risk as much as as much as we can. Um, but then there's a like like you said, there's a bigger there's a bigger issue there. Like f- f- there's a lot of money that will be lost if the Premier League and the Championship, more so the Premier League, but there will be a lot of money lost if they like none avoid the season. Like a lot of money that's going to affect everyone, and that will affect all through the Football League because the Premier League does provide a lot of money for the Championship, League One, League Two. So if the Premier League lose that money, then it's going to trickle down to everyone. People, clubs will lose money. Clubs won't be able to play players. Do you know what I mean? So it's a big, it's a massive, massive effect. And I didn't know this. I had a discussion with my agent. He broke it down and explained it to me. Mm. And I didn't know that obviously the effect that it had, that it can have if like the, the the league gets scrapped and um, there's so what, no... What is it exactly then? So, because maybe to um, someone, obviously like you, you said you had a conversation with your agent, but to maybe mm. people who aren't involved in football, it might be a yeah. little bit difficult to understand that like, yeah. okay, so what are the financial implications of null and void? Why does it... Because you guys are going to be playing in empty stadiums anyway. Yeah, so basically, um, as I understand it, I could be might not be 100% right, but yeah. I know that obviously the Premier League has a contract to the TV rights, obviously throughout the world. So like people like Sky Sports, BT, um, like the tele- the television broadcasters like, around the world. And if they don't fulfill their obligations of obviously f- completing the season, then the Premier League will have to reimburse the TV companies with the money that they obviously um, that they've obviously paid mm. like the Premier League to televise the games mm. that makes and I think that's like seven, eight hundred million yeah. do you know what I mean so it's a lot it's a lot not, of money not chicken change exactly hence why it doesn't it, if the games get paid behind closed doors but it's still televised and broadcast then obviously they're fulfilling they're fulfilling their contract by obviously having the games being televised yeah. but if that's not the case then it, the season gets none on void then obviously the Premier League will owe obviously the TV companies um, like reimbursements and that's mm. obviously when the Premier League and the Championship and League One and League Two will, will, will feel the effects of that. And, and it, yeah, so it's like, it's like that trickle-down effect that you guys, because obviously Championship games get shown on TV as well, like at least a couple games a, a weekend are on. Um, yeah, exactly. I think since um, the Champions League went to BT, and there were obviously Champions League used to be on on a Tuesday and a Wednesday night. Obviously, yeah. Sky have have put the championship on. So near enough, all of our midweek games are, are able to be shown on Sky. So yeah, yeah I think it's good. It's a good. Night game as well. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely yeah. a good thing. Yeah. So in terms of the like your so so who who is speaking on your behalf? Because obviously, you know, there's thousands of footballers. I know you've got the PFA, but it. Are, are they like consulting with you guys to, to you know get your opinions or is it uh, and how does it work I, I wouldn't I, I couldn't tell you um, mm. I think so the Premier League and the EFL are two different it's different so it's not like it's not all under one roof yeah. so I think the EFL will consult I think they're consulting with like all the club doctors and are trying to find out the safest way 
possible to obviously return to training and hopefully with games. So, and then I, and then I think occasionally they'll like meet with the they'll have meetings with the chief executives and the managers and maybe like mm. the captains of the clubs. So the players have some kind of input and the EFL will know kind of what the players are are thinking and maybe it gives the chance for the players to voice their issues if they have any concerns. Mm. But um, I, it has has it worked if 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 two players voice concerns is that like grounds to it's it's just a weird situation isn't it it's like because no, it, players have gonna, legitimate concerns it's, yeah it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna be a case where like if two players or a group of players have concerns then football won't be played you know what mm. I mean it's just it's just maybe it just takes maybe a doctor to be like give them some scientific advice or just tell them, do you know what I mean? Some, some facts. And then maybe that will ease their fears of whatever queries they had. Do you know what I mean? But it's just for, for us as footballers is if we can go out there and we know that it's going to be minimal risks, then I'm sure the majority of footballers will, will go and play behind closed doors, but it's just having them questions answered. And like I said to you earlier in the interview, it's it's a difficult one if you've got people in your household that have underlying issues and you're mm. potentially bringing back um, risks to them. Do you know what I mean? That's that's a very tough decision that that a player is going to have to make. Yeah, I guess the I guess the the way round that that's been suggested is is like playing games at neutral grounds and then maybe being kept in quarantine until the games yeah. are finished. It's I don't know if that's being suggested for the championship as well, but I would imagine if it's being discussed in the Premier League, it would be an option for the championship as well. Yeah, I, 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 I cannot see that happening. No. I cannot see the neutral grounds thing. Yeah, I can see maybe happening, even though I've read this week that the Premier League clubs don't want that to happen because obviously you're losing out on a um, advantage yes. and all of that stuff. Mm. Um, but and being quarantined, I think about a month ago I heard about the people being like staying in hotels or everyone just being yeah. in like one place. And St George's Park got mentioned and things like that. And that, crazy idea. Always have families and mm. kids, and it's I don't have any kids, so like it, it would be tough for me. But I could I could bear it. But if I had like a big family with kids and a wife and things like that, yeah. It's just I, I I can't I couldn't see it happening. I really couldn't see it. I could see a lot of players objecting towards that for sure. Yeah, yeah. So how was um? So obviously this is your first season at Stoke. Yeah. How has the season gone for you so far? Like I'm just looking at like your your playing record and stuff so far. It's um I think you've is it safe to say you've had like a bit of a turbulent season like with injuries and um. Like I haven't been. I haven't been injured. No, I haven't been injured this season, to be honest. Okay. Um, well, no. To be fair, the last, um, the last, I think it was the game against Luton. I I got a gash and I had to have mm. stitches on my foot, so I missed the whole game. But mm-hmm. I haven't been injured the whole season, which has okay. been a, quite a plus for me. But obviously, we started the season. We didn't really start the season well, and then we changed managers. So yeah. It was just trying to um, find my feet again and trying, obviously, you've got to go out there and you've got to show the manager what you can do. And he gave me some opportunities over Christmas and at the start of the year. And I think things have looked a lot brighter um, in 2020. So 
it's been it's like I said, it's been <laughs> football's always up and down, but yeah. things are looking a lot brighter now for me, which is is definitely positive. This this thing is kind of come at the wrong time for you because you were literally just kind of getting into the swing of things, playing more games and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden it's been halted. Yeah, yeah, but I'm <laughs> listen. I'm a I'm a optimistic and always positive person, so. I don't use these kind of things as excuses. I just you, you just got to take them face value, and you just got to get on with things. Like, I'm, I'm probably we're very lucky and blessed as footballers to to be still getting paid like our our wages. So yeah. I feel like me as a person, I can't complain about anything. Do you know what I mean? I'm very very fortunate and very lucky to be in the 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 situation I'm in. So I just try and see the positive in everything. Yeah. You know, 100%. try and help out as much as I can and, and and like I said move forward and this this pandemic will it will things will slowly go back to normal do you know what I mean so mm. as much as I can kind of rely that to people and stop people like kind of being negative and saying the world's gonna end up things like that mm. the, the better it is do you know what I mean because like I said we will get over this yeah no I think you're right I think that, that, that there has been a lot of negativity in the in the media and I think there needs to be some kind of positive news. Maybe I don't know. Who, maybe football will kind of like return return some spirits to people and you know get people in a in a jubilant mood. But um, <clears throat> just um, in terms of Stoke, so I'm looking at the league table. Yeah. Uh, you guys are in a bit of a dogfight. Um, yeah. Was it? Was there kind of like a um, a feeling from you guys that oh you know. Yeah, avoid the season now and, and and leave the table as it is, kind of thing, or is it you know? To be honest, we've never we've never really had a discussion like mm. about that, and I don't think that 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 we have at Stoke is not really like I just, I don't think that would be a discussion. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We know that we probably could have done a lot better at the at the start of the season, mm-hmm. but we we've changed managers, and ever since the new managers come in. Things have been looking a lot, lot better results-wise, performance-wise. So, and I think we were hitting a good run of form before the um, the pandemic came. So, yeah. it's not one of them things we kind of discuss as players. You know what I mean? I think, like I said, we've got a very, very good squad at Stoke. Loads of good players, loads mm. of experienced pros that have been there for for a while. So, and like I said, we were hitting some some decent form before. Obviously, had to end um, due to the pandemic. So. Yeah. Answering your question, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> because no, we were we were looking up, we were kind of looking up the table, not kind of down, because we were hitting some good. Yeah, I, I, like it's um, it's it's kind of weird that you know most people they wouldn't associate Stoke to be in, you know, Stoke were a Premier League team not so long ago. When, when did when was Stoke in Premier League? Was it the season before last? Season? Maybe about a couple of couple of years, I think. Yeah, so you've only had like a couple of years in the Championship, but. You know, you look through the team, you guys have got like proper internationals in the team. Jack Butland, you know, mm. Ryan Shawcross, um, uh, Tom Mintz obviously is like um, an England under 21 international. Joe Allen, you guys have got like some top, top names. So it might come as a bit of surprise that you guys are at, at the bottom. So what's like Michael O'Neill done to, to change things since coming into, um, uh, since coming in in November? Uh, I think he's just kind of just made strip things back made things just strip things back made things a lot more easier to to understand just 
went back to the basics mm. and installed more confidence into the boys. Do you know what I mean? Because, yeah. like I said, we you just you just named it yourself. We've got some good quality international players, and there's no doubt and they've got quality. But you know, like I said to you before, football's an up and down game, and you know people's forms go up and down. Mm. Um, but Ian just installed confidence back into the team and to the lads and. I think you can see now with the results since he's come in, it's, it's been an upturn in performance and form. So just making things a lot clearer to the boys and doing just making us do what we what we do best, you know, and, and showing that on the football field. I think that's what he's probably done the best. Mm. Is it, when you mention like confidence, because I was speaking to Mr. Vicario, um last week and he said yeah. like the same thing. He said he played for some managers and it's, you know, his game just doesn't quite click. Yeah. But then, you know, a, a new manager could come in next week and all of a sudden he brings something out of you. And it's, but it's, it's kind of hard to like put your finger on what it exactly is. But yeah. is it just like the self-belief, like someone giving you that extra boost? What, what is it? Um, it depends what kind of person you are, you know, because footballs are all about opinions and managers are going to come and go, but it depends what, how you are as a person. Mm. You know what I mean? Obviously, if a manager's behind, like he's, you get managers that are really uh, vocal and they're geeing you up. So obviously that's going to give you a natural confidence, but not all managers are like that. And doesn't mean they might not be like having you as a player, but they just might not be that kind of... Um, Powder, what's the word I want to use? They're not that um, like physical with you. They're not gonna get into your. They're not gonna pat you on the back. They're not gonna like say Jordan, like come on, or like mm. you're the best or whatever. They'll just like they'll say it, they'll just stay silent, and that's yeah. for you as a player to kind of not read into it and think negative things about it. But just you know, you have to give yourself your own kind of confidence and believe you are a good player and believe you are one of the best and then you can kind of do your own thing because yeah. if you if you read into like what managers think too much because not every manager is gonna have experiences through my career not every manager is gonna start off liking you but mm. by showing heart courage quality a good attitude listen that manager's opinion can soon change of you when you're ready to ride Metro, we want you to know we're ready for you. Here are just a few of the people at Metro to tell you how we're doing our part to keep riders safe. We're cleaning like never before, with hospital grade cleaning. You'll find hand sanitizer stations all over the Metro. No mask, no Metro. Need one? We have a few extras. At Metro, we're doing our part to keep the DC area moving. Find out more at wmata.com slash doing our part. If, do, do you have like a like a preference of managerial style? Like, if you if you could have like a, or are you not fussed? Uh listen, I've had I've had probably I think this maybe might have been my my eleventh manager in like yeah. seven years or whatever it is I've been playing. So I've had plenty. So for me, I don't really have a specific style of manager. Mm-hmm. I just like a manager that's going to be open and honest. Yeah. Um. And tell you and tell tell you how it is because for me as a person and as a player that that just always works the best for me. A manager that can just be straight, honest, and and just tell the truth. And then for me, that's I seem to thrive off of that. And then because as a player, if a manager is honest and open, like you you can't really say nothing back as a player. 
um, there's no there's no excuse. He either feels you or he doesn't feel you. And if he doesn't feel you, he tells you what you have to do to get into his team. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. and you can either go and sulk or you can try hard, do extra sessions. If he if he says you're not strong enough, you go in the gym, you work hard, you try and get stronger, and then you try and um you, you try and get better because you at the end of the day you could have two, three, four years left in your contract and you know what I mean? If you're not playing, you're unlikely to, to be getting a move. So you just, you have to stay, this is what I'm saying, you have to stay very, very, very mentally strong mm. because it's not always going to be up and down. Like the best Messi and Ronaldo will tell you as well, it's not always, it always seems to be going up, up, up with them, but yeah. it, there are ups and downs and obviously they do with it the best. So mm. You have to learn how to how to do it and, and and be mentally strong. How how did the um the Stoke move come about then? Because you you obviously spent um was it three seasons at QPR? Yeah, so I was at QPR for for three years. Mm. Um, then I left there. Um, contract came to an end, and then literally. There was a, a, f- a few clubs, because I was a free agent. So back in the day when he was a free agent, it used to be like a, a bad thing. But I think as times move on, it it's not so much of a bad thing because... you more power. Yeah, like I had, mm. my agent had, I was on holiday at the time. And I was, it was a bit of a tricky summer because I'd never really been in that situation before. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't really enjoy my holidays too much. My agent tried to reassure me as much as he could and said... You were a bit anxious kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm. He said, go on holiday, enjoy yourself, blah, blah, blah. Like, don't worry, we'll all sort things out. So <laughs> I was often on holiday receiving calls from my agent. So it was like every time the phone would ring, I'm like, oh my God, like, I could be like <laughs> by the pool or something. Or I was in Jamaica at the time, so I could yeah. be like, I'm maybe even getting a massage or something or like doing excursions or whatever and just getting calls. And it's like... So yeah, but there was a few clubs interested, so I knew I, w- I would end up somewhere. Um, and then when I found out Stoke was interested, I was actually quite surprised that Stoke were um, were, were going to be interested because that was I'd never really because usually you can kind of see what kind of club or you're going to kind of go to if that makes sense or like the, the style or type of club. But when Stoke came along, I was like, whoa, like that's a big club. It's a massive, massive club. Then I saw the, the type of players that they had in the team and the type of players that they were signing or had signed. And I was like, I've got to, like, I was like to my agent, you've got to make that happen. Like, mm-hmm. if they're showing interest in me, like, you, you, you've got to make that happen because yeah. that's massive. That's, that's a chance. That's a, for me, yeah, that's a Premier League club. They have everything the mm-hmm. stadium, the training ground, the fans. Like, that's a Premier League club. And my dream is still one day to, to grace the Premier League so yeah. it ticked all the boxes for me and I know like I would have had to move out of London and um, it would was have that, been Was that a potential stumbling block for you because you did obviously you did say you've been in London your whole life um, was it out of the comfort zone or It, it, it was out of the, it was out of the comfort zone I, I would say I wouldn't say um, it, it was something that would have held me back but I knew it was something that I was going to have to do on one stage of my career or not because mm. I was 25 at the time and I'm thinking you know what like these these opportunities don't come up all the time so you've just got to jump at it if they come and yeah. like I said it, it did take me a while to to settle in like moving up there no family no friends about and things like that 
but um I soon refocused my mind and started like occupying my mind by doing stuff like reading books and I have a my own company so I was just keeping myself busy with that and then I kind of found like a a new kind of mindset and then that definitely helped me on the football pitch mm. how, how was um how was life at QPR because um going from Charlton to QPR that was a that was another big kind of move would you have considered it as it was a stepping stone at the time because I guess when you left when you left Charlton were they in the uh, league one were they? yeah they just had they had been relegated so yeah. Season for relegated, and then I moved that summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, keep, yeah, keep, you know what? QPR was probably the my biggest like ch- test and challenge as a football player. Like, I'd say one of the biggest, like, it put me in some of the darkest places I've been in my whole life, really. Um, in for loads of reasons, like, for because I had. I had three managers when I was there. <laughs> that was yeah. another three managers of the eleven that was there. And then I had the biggest injury of my career. I pulled my my uh, tendon off the bone. Okay. So I had to have an operation and your first season. This was my was it my first yeah, that was my first season. No, that was my s- second hold on. Was it maybe like the end of the first going into the second? Yeah. yeah, hold on, hold on, let me think. No, it was the second season. Okay. The second season, I think it happened, 2017, March, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I pulled, I wrecked him off the bone and then I had to have operation and it only, it was only like a, so I had no summer, I had to come in and it was just tough. Everyone else was on holiday and I had to come in and and do work and I was learning how to kick with my left foot again because obviously I had to have reconstructive surgery so it was a lot of like learning how to walk properly and I had never done this before so right yeah um, yeah. and I came back in pre-season and I thought like okay I'll be back and everything would turn back to normal but Mm. I'm telling you it probably took me at least another three four months to just feel like myself again um just through just through being out for so long and yeah. just how long was you out for in total? So I was out for I think about four or five months because even when I was even when I came back I like I picked up like a, another little hamstring niggle and things yeah. like that when I came back. So it was just it was just a, a time in my career where it was just just nothing was going well for me. Mm. But you know what? Like I can honestly say that I learned so much about myself in that time in terms of like how I am mentally and I learned so much about my body which I wouldn't know right now unless I kind of went through that injury if that makes sense yeah um so nah and then um I would say for me personally my last season at QPR was probably my best Mm -hmm. um I played I think it was about 30 just over about 30 32 games so Mm -hmm. like appearance wise I was okay didn't really suffer too many injuries or long-term injuries as such. Um, and then I think because I played that many games and I was able to be out there and playing games, it was it, it was probably good because clubs could see I was playing and I could perform. And that's why I probably had a few clubs um, calling my agent when it came to the end of the season. Because yeah. if you don't, players will tell you, if you don't play in your last year, 
and you're off to you. at the end. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that, exactly that's that could be a nervous a nervous summer. Yeah, just, just going back to your injury because um because um Mustafa Cario he he was out for thirteen months he blew his knee out and he said the exact wow. same thing as you said he said that when he came back he had to learn everything again like he he had to learn how to he was so scared to kick with his left foot that. There were times you'd be still yeah. on goal and you'd check back on his right foot just because instinctively he didn't have the confidence to shoot on his left foot because he was worried about the landing or the impact. Just basically it, that it would happen to his knee again. And that must be... I, I can't think of anything worse. It's like being a boxer and, and being scared to throw a right hand because, you know, you, you think that you're going to break your hand or something like that. It must be, it must be awful. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a, um, it's a, it's a very, very uh, traumatic time when you when you first kick a ball again after not kicking a ball for so long, and like you think, oh my god, if I kick it too hard, my injury is gonna happen again, or your leg just feels weak. Do you know what I mean? You just don't feel your. But listen, like if you're and Muscle probably told you last week, you have to be very, very... You can't play, be a footballer and not be mentally strong. Because mm. like I said, you go through injuries, you go through times when you're out of the team, you go through times where a manager might not be feeling you, do you know what I mean? You might go through times when you're away from family and things like that. So if you're not mentally strong and you don't have like good people around you, good family, good friends, then phew, just the game will, will, will chew you up and spit you out very quickly. Mm. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. So, uh, you you obviously made your name for yourself at at Charlton. That's where you you came through the academy. Um, uh, you did come through the academy at Charlton, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you were there from how old were you? Like, uh, I was started there under. I was there like nine, ten years. So I started there under eleven. Wow. And, and then and then you were there until right up until two thousand sixteen. So. Yeah, you were there up until so, so for like a good 12 11 years basically. Yeah. I think it was about nine, ten. Oh, was it nine or ten years? Yeah, yeah. Like <coughs> sorry, <clears throat> that's not corona. Sorry, but um, that's <laughs> <laughs> okay. People like you know, people get a bit scared at, at, at the cost these days, but um, yeah, so how is it going from um. Because Charlton is quite a big academy in London, right? It's got it's very prestigious. It it's produced like a lot of good footballers. Yeah, listen for me personally, like that place, what it done to me as a person, as a footballer, because I came into that academy raw. Like mm. I came into that academy under eleven, and I did it. You know, like I served. I didn't. I didn't own a. Place. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I tell you a funny story. Uh, I tell you a funny story. So my first session. At Charlton, I went to Charlton, Charlton Academy. My dad took me, right? And, like, bearing in mind, like, I'm coming to Charlton's Academy, yeah? I, I turn up in a bright yellow Arsenal kit. <laughs> this is how much I didn't know about the Academy system. A proper freshie. And then, like, like, I came here, yeah, like, with not the right footwear. Mm. I came in my full 
Adidas kit. I mean, a full Nike um, yellow. Uh, you know, it's like the you know the Arsenal kit was yellow with the O two the O two yeah, yeah, sign. Yeah, yeah. Like I had JC number nine on the back, yeah, yeah. like full <laughs> kit. Like, and to be fair, like the the coaches they didn't even like they let me wear it. They like they just said to me, then Jordan, like next time just come with something like just plain like normal sports kit. And I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry. sorry. <laughs> So yeah, um, like literally, I came into the academy system um, raw, man. And what that what that place done to me from from the age of eleven until obviously I turned professional, um, like it just it just molded me into to just a hungry like hungry person, a well mannered person. Because they didn't just teach you football; they taught you how to be respectful, how to how to, to talk to people, you know what I mean? How to communicate, like all the ground basics. And my coach, what the academy manager, Steve Avery, like, oh, like uh, everybody that talks about all these players coming from Charlton's academy, it's all through him. Like he's the academy manager. He's the one that like, he's, he's got that kind of personality where like you'll, you'll be training and people be like, oh, Steve's coming. Like, so everyone starts to do that, like, make sure that the touch is all right. And you know what I mean? He's that kind of, he's got that kind of persona about him. But um, nah, he, the, the academy is, um, is, a, is a very top, top, top one. They might not obviously be in the, in the top league, but in terms of producing players, listen, it speaks for itself, the players that they've produced at the academy. Yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Clorox. When it counts, trust Clorox the same way we trust essential workers to provide the care they give to us. Families trust Clorox to give them a safe and protected home. Our community heroes trust Clorox to keep places like hospitals and grocery stores disinfected. So I know I too can trust Clorox to provide my home with a safe environment at home we can all enjoy. So I have a story for you, Amanda. Um, With Clorox, there's one thing I definitely use it for every single time before I step into my vanity van. Uh, I love the entire place disinfected because that's where I keep my makeup. Uh, That's where I get ready. That's where my clothes are. That's sometimes where I take a nap as well. So, you know, I can use it all over like time of need. So, um, yeah, it's been really, really, it just keeps everything super clean and I, I feel super safe. For me, it's important to share with loved ones and the public in general how they can give the most care for their loved ones, especially during times like these. I mean, with the pandemic going on, with COVID going on, it's just great to be extra sanitary with all the items that are around you, caring for others and, you know, just wiping down the door handle after you use the bathroom or wiping down the door. So important. The toilet. The toilet handle. Don't forget the toilet handle. (laughs) So remember, when when it counts, counts, trust Clorox. So what is it like? Because not a lot of players manage to go like, so, you know, how many players start off at, you know, a top, a top um, cap one, cap two um, academy and then make their way through to the first team? It's probably, you're talking about like 1% of of, um, young footballers, right? So what was it like when you, you, you made your debut for Charlton and uh, I, I know I'm probably asking you to go back a few years now yeah but um, like what what is it like make, being like a homegrown youngster and and making your debut for the team that, that you've obviously spent so much time with in the academy um, for me like my, my dream was always to just be a professional footballer so I just felt like I was a team in my dream do you know what I mean um, 
And obviously for me being like literally five minutes from the stadium growing up, it was just a surreal kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Just just playing for, for Charlton and like having all your family and friends there and things like that. It was just, it's a whole lot, thinking about it now, it's just a whole load of different emotions, nerves, excitement, do you know what I mean? But mm. when, you're on a, when you're on a football field, like you can't really, you don't have time to be thinking about that stuff. You're just too zoned into the game. And then like next thing you know, a season goes by and then two seasons go by and it's like, oh my God, where's all that? You've almost played like 80, 90 games. And it's like, where's all that time gone? Do you know what I mean? So it's, it, it's actually quite nice to actually sit here and talk to you about it because then you ref- you reflect and you think, oh, like I've actually come a long way. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm 26 now and I'm thinking I've I've actually come come a long way. But um, no, I'm, I don't stop. There's I, there's still things I want to achieve, even though I feel like I've like I said I've achieved I've achieved my dream of being a professional footballer. I've still got other targets that I want to hit for sure. You obviously you're, you're you sound obviously really ambitious. So was it um. Was it difficult to leave Charlton then? Yeah, it was. It was. It was very because obviously, um, we we had been relegated that season, and I think I could have easily stayed there because I had three years left on my on my contract. But mm-hmm. for me, my personal ambition was to to be the best player I could, and I felt like if I was to obviously step down into League One, I think that would just probably hinder my progression as a player. Hence why I made the the switch to West London and and I moved to QPR because I, they were obviously in the championship and I felt like that was the best level for me to kind of pro- progress as a player and obviously develop as a person because I was still young. Mm-hmm. You um you mentioned that you have your own company. Um, yeah. So. I've I've done a little bit of research on it because I saw it in your in your social media bio. But do you want to tell everyone what it is and 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 why you why you felt the need to set it up? Um, so I set up a, a sports coaching company, and this is actually this is a good one because it ties into this is something I'd done when I suffered that um that long injury um when I was at QPR. So. When I suffered that long injury, I was literally cr- crutch bound for about, I think it was like for six or seven weeks. So obviously I was tearing my head out and I wasn't in the best of places. Um, but something clicked in my head and I was like, let let me try and turn this situ- this like negative situation into something positive. So I had a friend at the time that had, um he was like a sports coach and he would go into schools and um, like teach kids. And, and I was thinking to myself, like I used to pick his brains about and, and ask him what it entails and like what, what you have to do to actually like get into schools and do it. And just one day I just literally got an Uber because I couldn't drive. I went to the London FA. I like I got a DBS certificate, um, formerly known as like a CRB one to know like when you know you can like go and go into schools and whatnot. And I literally just set up the business um, like because I had, back then I had um, connections with Mike. So I created like a uniform and, I had a few friends that were that could coach and had qualifications and I um done a bit of research, went to my old primary school and I literally went in there and asked one of my old teachers, like, what is it that primary schools want? Like for like sports coaching companies, what do you guys what what's gonna make me different to the rest of the sports co- coaching companies out there? Because obviously there are there are loads. And um within a couple of months that same teacher called me back and was like, Jordan, literally, um 
we need to we need a we need a sports coaching company because the one that they had already, I think there was an issue with a child and one of their staff members, and they had to get rid of them immediately. And now, lucky enough, I was ready. I had a a couple of coaches that were ready to go in there and and teach. And literally, three years down the line, like our business is just it's just grown massively. Do you know what I mean? So it was it was just <laughs> it was one of them one things where it just just I just took something and ran with it and now it is where it is we do summer camps we go into the schools um and and teach PE and we we just like we do birthday parties and things like that and for me personally I set the business up in the beginning just to try and give something back do you know what I mean um give something back to the area of Greenwich where I grew up in and just kind of you know because I know it's hard out there for for like parents and, and things like that so this hence why I do like the summer camps where the kids can come from like 8.30 till 3.30 I mean yeah 8.30 till 3.30 and, and and come and do like not just football but they can do multi-sports they can do dance they can do arts and crafts um, that's another thing that I, I kind of found out in my market research is that obviously people knowing me thought it would just be football that I do but I do it like we do everything in terms of like we have dance teachers, arts and crafts, like things like chess, yoga, like all of that, all of them things that we provide. So that makes us really attractive to to the wider community. So that's a bit about. Um, What's the business called? Evolution Sports. Okay, Evolution Sports. So, so this is quite interesting because um, not every footballer <laughs> has a, has a keen interest in in business. Like that, so yeah. that's like normal people, I guess. So, what, what, why is it? Imp- you, you mentioned obviously the community aspect. Is, do you think it's something that every footballer should do on the side? Is try and you know, um, or, no, you know what? I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say something that every footballer should do. I think you should only do something if you have a passion for it. Mm-hmm. So, I know there's a lot of footballers out there that do other things like, um, other footballers, some footballers might have like clothing companies or clothing mm. brands. Some people might have um, property management business and they like to like manage properties or buy properties. That's their thing. I do some property stuff on the side myself. I buy properties. Um, but for me, like, I felt like that was something that I wanted to do. Like, it's something that I felt like I need there were a lot of cuts and they were cutting a lot of like after school um, programs for kids in the area and because they weren't getting the funding from the government. So I felt like for me to step up and kind of offer the the parents something for the kids to do in the holidays and I helped the school and give professional coaches to go in there and make sure that the quality of the sports is good. I just was something that I could, for me, it was easy to do, do you know what I mean? So, and if it's easy for me to do and it's going to help the kids, I think, for me, it just fills me with so much, like, satisfaction that I can help other people and help kids, like, progress and, and do well. Because when I was younger, all that support was there for me. And the fact that, obviously, the funding had subsided, um, I felt like it was only, it was only, like I said, something that I could, I could try, and, try and help and improve. Today's episode is brought to you by Clorox. When it counts, trust Clorox the same way we trust essential workers to provide the care they give to us 
families trust Clorox to give them a safe and protected home. Our community heroes trust Clorox to keep places like hospitals and grocery stores disinfected. So I know I too can trust Clorox to provide my home with a safe environment at home we can all enjoy. So I have a story for you, Amanda. Um, With Clorox, there's one thing I definitely use it for every single time before I step into my vanity van. Uh, I love the entire place disinfected because that's where I keep my makeup. Uh, That's where I get ready. That's where my clothes are. That's sometimes where I take a nap as well. So, you know, I can use it all over like time of need. So, um, yeah, it's been really, really, it just keeps everything super clean and I, I feel super safe. For me, it's important to share with loved ones and the public in general how they can give the most care for their loved ones, especially during times like these. I mean, with the pandemic going on, with COVID going on, it's just great to be extra sanitary with all the items that are around you, caring for others, and you know, just wiping down the door handle after you use the bathroom or wiping down so the So important. The toilet. So important. The toilet handle. Don't forget the toilet handle. (laughs) So remember, when when it counts, counts, trust Clorox. Yeah, it is is an important thing to do, I guess, because um, someone has to do it, right? It's it's like someone's got to take the responsibility to do it because, um, as you said, like the, the support and the funding isn't always there. So it does take like good people like you to go out there and, and do these things because if it's left to the government to do it, maybe it doesn't get done. Yeah, like I think I think every footballer has to be to, to give back in some kind of way, whether that's in a charitable way, whether that's like I said, like a lot of footballers do like um appearances where they go into the community and they might help like even like things like food banks and mm. stuff like that but we hold so much um like people look up to us like especially like the kids and the younger generation that like, to, to show to show like a to show our face one and to to show them the right way do you know what i mean so yeah. um because I, when I go, because I don't physically coach the kids myself, obviously, because I play football. But yeah. um, when I when I can, when I get days off, sometimes I'll take the train down from um, from Stoke to London, and I'll go into to the schools just to make sure that my coaches are alright, and to make sure that obviously they're delivering the right sessions. And I'll see the kids, and they'll run up and say, "Jordan, how are you?" Da, 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 da. Do you know what I mean? So, and and they like it and they enjoy it, and just from by me going in there and and seeing them and seeing how they're doing and just the kind of the way they embrace me it just makes me feel like how can I not like this is it's not it's just me sitting on a train for a couple of hours and it puts like a massive smile on their face so for me it's easy so hence why I, I try and do that as much as I can that's sick man that's sick um I wanted to talk a little bit about because I saw um an interview that you did with TalkSport and you talked a, a bit about like social media and why you've taken a break from social media um yeah that 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 article was done about a year ago, I think. Um, yeah. It's obviously social media is growing every day, and we're seeing yeah. you know all sorts of things that happen with footballers and social media and whatnot. Has your mm. has your stances changed, and and are you more active on social media now? Like, do you, do you see the benefits of it, or are you still kind of like not anti, but are you kind? You know, uh, you try and limit it. 
No, I, I wouldn't say I'm anti-social media. Like, mm. I think social media is very, very powerful, um, especially in, in, in this day and age. Probably not so much, so much 10 years ago, but right now it's, it's very powerful. So I wouldn't say I'm anti-social media, but just me personally on the personal front, I don't really like read into it or put so much of my stuff out there. If that like of my personal life or like say for instance like I play have a good game or whatever or I have a bad game I'm like I'm not gonna tweet or like I'm not gonna put like an Instagram post up do you know what I mean mm. it's for me it's just that's just the way I am do you know what I mean for people that do it I'm not saying that it's the, it's the bad thing for them to do but mm. just me personally I I kind of just like to to just keep myself to myself and like just you know if I'm gonna discuss or talk about football or or try and voice an opinion I, I tend to instead of doing it with like the broader public I'll just do it with my my close friends or my family rather than you know put put things out there because listen as footballers yeah there's a lot of praise but there's a lot of negative things listen, that, listen. that football, that, <laughs> football is a is a, 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 a whole different animal man it's is that exactly you know you know that you know that yourself so and I knew it like when I was when I was on them kind of things like Twitter back in the day like I used to like read them kind of things and I used mm. to just think like especially when I was younger like if I might have had like not so much of a good game and and I could just see just people just hurling abuse at me and I just used yeah. to think what like this is mad so obviously I I come of age and I got a, I was a few years older and I just thought to myself you know what like I didn't I didn't delete the account the account's probably still there but yeah. I just like literally just deleted the app and like I just didn't need to see it like good or bad like because I'm mm. I'm one of them people as well as like if I have a good performance I don't try and get too high and I don't try and if I have a not so good performance I don't too low, get yeah. too low I just literally every day I just try and stay on the level and, mm-hmm. Like I said, I think that's just the, the best way to, to try and be, just be on a level either either way. Um, things go. It it must be it must be difficult because I, I remember seeing like um, I think it was something I think it was Ainsley Maitland Niles. He was like replying back to comments on his Instagram feed, and obviously Ainsley Maitland Niles is probably having thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands yeah, and thousands of people commenting and messaging him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Reading that kind of thing, even reading my own, like, the podcast, um, it's not it's not a huge Twitter account, but we have, like, 9,000 followers. Even reading the comments and the mentions from that, from that feed, it's taxing. Yeah. It's, it can be, it can be draining, like, when people are, are, are criticising your opinions and stuff like that. Obviously, it's different for us because we're putting our opinions out there to be shot at. But it yeah, can have an effect on, you know, when some randomer with no avatar is, you know, cussing your your personal looks or, you know, stuff like that. It can yeah, be really... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? <laughs> so, but some players, some players like it. Some players turn that negative into positive. Mm. But like That's I said, everyone's, di- everyone's different. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like I said, I'm... I'm probably like not your stereotypical like footballer that's like out there and like heavy on social media. I just I just like to kind of like sit in the background and just like live and live a normal normal life. Do you know what I mean? And just and just work hard. Do you know what I mean? Because... You you not got a burner account or nothing like that, no? Pardon? You not got a burner account or nothing like that, no? Oh, burner account. What is it? What is <laughs> what is that? Is that an account where you just like? After someone else, and you just start like you just start preying basically. Nah, 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 nah,
I haven't got one of them. But I got, I got Instagram. I got Instagram. I've got yeah, an Instagram yeah. account, but um, when it comes to uh, so you are you a more of an Insta guy? Um, I'm an Insta guy, but like I said, I don't think I've posted since like July last year. So like I said, I'm not, I'm really not active. I'm not active in it. like I will like I'll see things and I like I'm I'm all for like positive positivity. So like I'll see like my my like my friends or like my family and they put stuff up and I comment or if mm. someone's done well like I still talk to like a lot of my old like my old teammates so I'm all for like commenting and like bigging people up you know what I mean but I've never like, ever like yeah. not, I'm not never one to yeah like I'm mm. never like I, I'm that might change like uh, you know I, I don't know it might, I might feel like okay let me post something you know what I mean like I, I'm all into like for me I'd probably more than post a picture of myself, I would probably post like a quote, like an inspirational quote. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like I've been mm-hmm. watching like um, the the Last Dance, the Michael uh, Michael Jordan documentary, mm-hmm. and I literally just like I would just type in on Google like the quotes of Michael Jordan quotes and the amount of quotes that he has and the inspiration that I I'm I'd rather fill up my page with quotes like that. Yeah. Then like pictures of myself because that's just like the kind of person I am and quotes for me like quotes like that they they get me going like they fill me with like the most motivation and mm. I'd rather put that out there to people so that can kind of stick into someone else's mind and maybe help them yeah. then like fill them up with stupid pictures of me like popping bottles selfies. in the club <laughs> I don't, I, I don't <laughs> Hey, that's another that's another conversation. That is another conversation. <laughs> hey, listen, some some people get off on that, innit? Like, I I may or may not be one of them. I you know I I might I might post a little picture of me doing that, but hey, nah, that's that's, that's something that, that I I I can safely say I don't do. <laughs> that that is not good for my for my um for my lifestyle or anything like that. That's just that's bad news. That's very bad news. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could be on your your level of uh, discipline. Yeah, no, there, there, there's no, there's no, there's no. Listen, you only have one life, so listen. That you can do everything in in moderation, as they say. But no, that's that's something that that, that I try and stay away from. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, so just a few questions then for for you um, before we wrap things up because I've taken up enough of your time already. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask, um, because obviously you've, you've made the move to, to foreign lands in terms of from London to Stoke, well, to Manchester. Mm. Yeah. Would, I know you've mentioned playing in the Premier League, but would playing abroad ever appeal to you? Um, you know what? A lot of people ask me that question. Um, but for me right now, I feel like I have, like... I still have so much I want to do here mm. in England. I think maybe if you were to ask me this when I was maybe like 31, 32, um, like I, I've, for me, I love America. Not okay. just for football, but just as a country. And like, <laughs> but like, just, just like, football is obviously getting better over there, but like the lifestyle, like, over there is is amazing so i don't think it's something i'll do for now but maybe when i get a bit older and like maybe a few years out there could be something like that i might want to want to do but for now nah i I can't imagine myself got yeah i can't i can't like even places like spain italy like germany like they don't really 
they don't really interest me what about um you don't strike me as the type of guy that is um particularly money orientated i may i may be wrong about that but um yeah. what about if you got like a, a huge offer from somewhere like saudi arabia or or something like that with, with does, does that appeal to you at all or china for example I, I, listen you can never say never because it could an offer could come in and i, I could think differently but yeah. the way i think right now I, I can't i can't i can't i can't see that yeah. see that see that sway me if that makes sense yeah, yeah, no, like I said, I'm 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 happy. I like I'm happy um, where I am. I feel I feel very settled where I am in my in my in my life and my career right now. So, but I have goals and aspirations with football and with business and with other things. So, I just feel like if I was to say, like go to China or go to Saudi Arabia, that just make just put loads of stress on my head. Mm-hmm. Different culture, heat, family, time difference, the whole like you know what I mean. So. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty yeah I'm I'm pretty happy. They're, they're all the things you have to kind of consider when you're making them big moves, and I think I'll just rock the boat a bit bit too much for me right now. No, I hear you. W- would you um would you encourage younger players to move abroad when they're you know you know we've seen obviously like players like Jaden Sancho go Germany yeah. and yeah a host of young players now that they go and play their football abroad now because maybe. The opportunity is not there in England. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what? For me, um, if you're the advice I can give for young players is is if you're in like a in an academy system and that you can't see a pathway or into the first team, then for me you, you have to play first team football somewhere else. Whether that's in England, in a in a lower league, or if that's maybe abroad. But if if you do go abroad, um, it has to be to play first team football in a in a in a competitive league. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't want to be going abroad and then find yourself in the same position that you were in England, if that makes sense. So, like like you said, someone like Jadon Sancho, he left Manchester City knowing that he was going to get opportunities to play first-team football at a massive club like Borussia Dortmund. So I can see why he, he he made that move. But there are a lot of other young players that have moved um, to foreign land and they've kind of stayed in under-21s and the 19s and it hasn't really worked out, you know what I mean? So just, just me growing up and the experiences that I've been through, I can only advise a young player, whether it be 17, 18, like if you, if you do not actually see, and you know what, it's hard because obviously a lot of these players might be at big clubs earning like good money. So it's hard to kind of think about moving away and maybe going somewhere where you might get lesser money. But if it's for that first team opportunity, the, the money will come eventually. Do you know what I mean? If, if you perform well at that first team level, but I just think it's, it's very, very, very key in, in a young player's development to just play competitive football because the under twenty one league is is a it's good to a certain extent, but I think that you you grow so much more as a player playing against in competitive leagues and in competitive games. With stuff on the line, man. People people playing for their livelihood. Yeah, exactly. It's just like you just learn so much. Just even like playing in front of crowds, like your preparation for games and 
it's just it's something on the line. People are exactly like what you said. People are playing for for their livelihood, so it's like there's always it's just a, a different kind of competitive edge when you're playing in in whether it be league or cup matches. I'm um, in front of the real fans that are paying hard earned money to come and watch you play. So there's nothing there's nothing beating that learning experience. Just a couple of fun questions then before we before we leave. Um, <clears throat> I want to know the best player you've ever played against. Yeah. The best player I've ever played against. Whoa. The best player I've ever played against. Who's absolutely, who's absolutely ruined you on the pitch? <laughs> ruined me on the pitch? Ah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. I played against a few players, you know. Um, you know, this might be a surprise. This might be a surprise to people. But we played. I was at QPR, and we played. Uh, we played Newcastle, right? Mm. It was a New- Newcastle in the championship at the time, right? Yeah. But I, this is what I can remember because we we lost like I think it was five or six nil, mm. right? But I was playing centre midfield against John Joe Shelby, right? And bearing in mind, like, when I was at Charlton, I was young and John Joe was in the first team at the time and he was, like, the wonder kid, the yeah, star kid. I remember, yeah. So, yeah, and I played against him at Newcastle and I just couldn't get near him. Yeah. Like, he kept getting the ball and he just kept, like, switching the play or, like, I just could not, like, technically, like, I just literally just couldn't get near him. And, like, he was just they were battering us like it was five six five six nil yeah. and he was just letting off shots that were like bullets yeah. at our goal and I was just like what is going on there do you know what I mean obviously there's probably, I've probably played against like other very very good players but just that that was like a that scarred me that game yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that that game scarred me I think it might have been live on Sky as well but Ooh. that game <laughs> it was like I just didn't know what was happening in that game, like. But you know what? You know what? I can honestly say, like, that was probably the like, like it was a big defeat. But the learning curve I held for that game and like the, the lessons I learned from that game were massive. Were massive. So. I can imagine John Joe is a baller, man. And it, yeah, as you said, like. Nah, very, 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 very good. He's very underrated, I think, John Joe. Yeah. Listen. Like technically, like you can have a, these hot-headed moments and things like that, but technically, yeah. unbelievable player, unbelievable player. Yeah. Um. Uh, and then, and then the best player that you've played with, uh, you might not want to name someone in your current team, just to you know, I don't know if you want to give anyone a big head or anything, but. Uh, I've played with a few players, you know. I've played with a few, few players. Do you know what? Yeah. Do you know the best player that I think I've. I've I've played with and not in the sense of because at that time he was like the best thing I've ever seen but I just knew he would be where he is now at that age mm. and it and it's Joe Gomez because okay. because when Gomez? I played with Joe when I was at Cholton okay oh, and Joe was well, he may he maybe yeah he maybe would have been 16 17 yeah. playing in the first team but I just, I, when you grow up as a as a professional, you 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 go past like um you see these players and I've I've um you've got like people like Joe Gomez and Adam Lookman and mm-hmm. players like that I've seen grow up and and Carlin who's doing very well right now and you just 
when you play with them and you see the way they move and the way they carry themselves, you just know that if they get the right move to the right club, they will take off and there's no stopping them. And because and because and because you know because I'm how he is as a person, humble, down to earth, doesn't get carried away with things. You just know like that they're gonna get there and what he was doing what he was doing to big experienced strikers in the championship he was manhandling them at like 17 you you just knew that if he got the right move which he did to Liverpool at that time under Brendan Rodgers and obviously now under Klopp and you can just see it's living proof that he's just absolutely thriving and like playing out of his skin I mean probably like one of the one of if not one of the best centre backs in the country and probably can be what in the world, you know what I mean? He's still very young. So for me personally exactly. So if I could say like one player that like I said at the time probably wasn't the best player I'd ever played with, but I could just see the potential and obviously we know I don't have to say anything more about obviously where he is now and what he's won at such a young age. Like that's that speaks for itself. I wasn't expecting that answer. I can't lie to you, but um, it it makes a lot of yeah. sense, and it, it it is quite rare mm. for whether Joe Gomez playing at Charlton is he at right back or centre back. You know what? You know what? It was it was that crazy because he would play and he could play anywhere on the back yeah, yeah, yeah. in the back four. Mm-hmm. He was play. I think like majority. I think he might like he had a spell at right back, then he had a spell at maybe even left back, and then he went to the centre back. And the thing is, it didn't matter where you put him, he was putting defenders in his back pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You weren't passing yeah. him. He was muscling you off the ball when he was 17 years of age. So yeah. there's only one place he was going. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, he's a, he's a yeah, no, that... <laughs> nah, he's a, listen, and, and even him, and even someone like him, he's had his he's had his injuries the past mm-hmm. couple of years. And mm-hmm. just, just me knowing him as a person and seeing how he was when he was younger, you just knew that them injuries weren't going to affect his his path going forward, you know what I mean? Just because yeah. of the type of professional he is and kind of person he is, like, yeah, yeah like I knew we, when he got injured, it's not like some people get injured and then that's them, like they don't really come back the same. But him, he's come back probably like better, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, uh, it's, it's, it, he was definitely one of the one of the one of the best. That's sick, man. Hey, Jordan, you know what? I'm not going to take up any more of your time, man. I appreciate you coming on and doing this for me. Um, I wish you all the best, and uh, I wish you, like, good safety and all of that. Like, look after yourself. And, um, no, I will do, man. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. No problem. ready to ride Metro, we want you to know we're ready for you. Here are just a few of the people at Metro to tell you how we're doing our part to keep riders safe. We're cleaning like never before. We're hospital grade clean. You'll find hand sanitizer stations all over the Metro. No mask, no Metro. Need one? We have a few extras. At Metro, we're doing our part to keep the D.C. area moving. Find out more at wmata.com slash doing our part. 
Social Podcast Network.